This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. Um, I'm Jamie, your host, and once again joined by former United goalkeeper Luke Steele and author Wayne Barton. Um, just a reminder, if you're watching us live on YouTube, um, please feel free to get your comments in and we'll react to them live. And if you're listening to us on your preferred podcast streaming platform, please leave us a like on there as well and a review. Um, big weekend for the Reds then. Arsenal turned up in the form of their life. Invincible Arsenal after five games um, against former relegation candidates, Manchester United, and a 3-1 victory ensued there. Luke, talk to me. How do you, how do you think this weekend went? How are you feeling? Brilliant. Um, well, I was at a wedding all weekend, so how I'm feeling is a little bit different to how I look. But, you know, we've gone from starting this podcast all doom and gloom to now I think it's four wins on the row in a row. Um, I think there's just been some fantastic performances and the whole atmosphere has kind of transformed so maybe they have listened to what we've been saying and um listened to, to details that we've given and apparently we're all top class managers and coaches us three so we should just form a form a team and you know start coaching lads to the premier league i presume but no it's um it's great. I've said it about Ericsson before. I might mention his name a lot, so if uh, you do get bored of me saying that, then just say. But I think Ericsson's just this missing player that um, hates comparing with Skulls or anybody else, but he's a missing player that we've, we've, we've needed. And I'm telling you, his passing, his ice-cold mentality is exactly what a top-class team... Top-class team means top two, top three need and I think we've got him so um, you know he makes mistakes like everyone else and I just think his passing's tremendous and he showed that with the goals the other day so he, he's somebody who I just can't say enough good things about um, you know when you watch the goals back and you just see those non-look passes where you know he threads it through you know he just breaks lines and we're lucky to have him so I'm, I'm delighted and I'm delighted for Rashford obviously getting the goals and and yeah, loads going on. It's it's just a great weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head with both points there. And um, we started this podcast. Our first episode was just after the four 0 loss at Brentford, and since we've been doing them, we've won every single game. So maybe we had a good luck charm. Like I say, maybe maybe Eric's listening. Um, 
But yeah, Ericsson, absolute Rolls Royce. I think picking him up for free um, has to be one of the deals of the season. And um, we'll touch on the transfer window um, a little bit later on as well. Um, but Wayne, obviously you were you were at the game. Um, talk talk to me about the atmosphere, the feeling in Old Trafford, um, and what a, what a win like this against an Arsenal side that were you know getting ahead of themselves again um, means to the club. Yeah, the atmosphere was incredible. It felt a little bit reminiscent of the earlier days, you know, when Arsenal would come and um, there'd be an electric atmosphere. It wasn't quite as intense as that, but, you know, the there was a... I think it was like there was an excitement through the curiosity to know um, this was the first massive test for either side. Obviously, Liverpool was a massive test, but I'm talking about since since the rebirth, since this mini-revival. All right, this is... Liverpool sparked it into life, but now Arsenal were coming and the atmosphere wasn't ever going to be the same as it is for a Liverpool game. So how how do the players sort of deal with the quality that they were going to face? Um, and obviously Arsenal, um, I'm not making a, any kind of joke about their stadium or anything, but they, their brand of football is more suited to sterile. You know, it's very sterile. They can deal with atmospheres. That's what it's there there to do um, and Arsenal have traditionally always come to Old Trafford since Wenger anyway and played decent football it's not like they've you know it's about United exploiting their weaknesses um, and really I mean I mean Luke mentioned Ericsson uh, and it's the perfect he's the perfect example for why United played the way that they did and got the result the way that they did because they were able to take what Arsenal were doing take the sting out of it and then play with a composure of their own. I mean, it was. I know you were reticent to mention Skulls, but Skulls is a perfect comparison because Ericsson's current style of play is so um, comparable with Skulls of 2006 to 2011. He just, you know, he, he plays basically on the podcast that I've been doing since I did one with Paul Parker yesterday. I, I basically said, What are you getting from Malati and Martinez? And Ericsson a seven out of ten performances, but they look like nine out of ten performances considering the way that United have been playing. So he's doing all the simple things so effectively. When you've seen Paul Pogba for many years make the simple things look very very difficult to do, and you see Ericsson just recycling possession, moving it along, keeping the tempo of the play going, it's easy to take for granted when you don't have it, and then when you've got it back you recognise the value of it. And he's so, so good at it. And it was so crucial to United getting through those stickier moments on, on Sunday. Because, look, I'm all for a laugh at Arsenal. And, yeah, ending the invincible starts of the season was good. But they still did play well. They did play well, in certainly in the second half. There was a moment after they equalised, I thought, if there's one team that's going to win it, it'll probably be Arsenal because of the way that they sort of started the second half with confidence. But... Um, obviously, United rode that storm thanks mainly to Ericsson for the, the calm that he put in that midfield. And, you know, it can be an Ericsson appreciation podcast for all I, I'm concerned because he was absolutely outstanding. I, I know that I'm devaluing him, by the way, by saying there was a 7 out of 10. I think Luke, you'll get the point what I'm trying to make with that. He probably did put in an 8, 9 out of 10 performance on Sunday. But what I'm trying to say is he could put in a 7 out of 10. And that 7 out of 10 is so valuable because of the metronomic way in which he just keeps that play ticking over. Um, And United have missed that. They've heavily missed it. And when he's there, at the moment, we definitely appreciate it. You're not going to underappreciate it. 
I thought Rashford was outstanding. He reminds me a little bit of Rooney in the in his finishing technique. In the you know Rooney comes through, he bursts through on goal, and if he's got too much time to think, he's probably not going to score. If you give um, Rashford that same kind of chance, as long as he doesn't have too much time, he can be really dead clinical in front of goal. Um, so yeah, there, obviously there were many things to, to take from that. I actually thought as well, United started the game really well. I thought they, they imposed themselves on the game. I think that the goal came from a really good passage of play. They went back, they went forward. Was it like 18 passes, every player touched the ball. Really good um, example of the football that Tenard wants to play. I think that they were rattled a little bit when Arsenal had the disallowed goal, but they came back and they composed themselves into the game. I think um, there are one or two fiery challenges. But other than that, like I said, I did think Arsenal started the second half really well. So you've got to look at United's response. I think maybe Arteta might regret a couple of the substitutes they made. I think Tenor got every decision spot on yet again, including you know the starting lineup and the changes that he made. And obviously, you scored a couple of goals, as we did. And then you you start to feel all right, confident that United are going to win the game again. Do you know what I mean? We'd not have that, not have that kind of confidence for for years. You know, really, I'm not exaggerating. It's been years since we've seen United take a couple of goal a lead by a couple of goals, and then say, "All right, they're confident enough to see this game out, and they're going to possibly add to it." Because um, they could have done. They created that situation. The, the one where Ericsson broke through and laid it on a plate to Rashford. Obviously, they didn't create another guilt-edged opportunity like that, but they created that opening three or four times, so they could have easily scored a couple more. Um, I was very, very impressed, Jamie, to be fair. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think it was it was one of those interesting ones, wasn't it, where to a neutral fan or to, to somebody else, they might look at patterns in the game and think that Arsenal have turned up and, and dominated us. I don't think that that's the case. I think that Tenag had a very strict game plan that he knew he knew how Arsenal were going to press, he knew how Arsenal were going to try and play. Um, and he tried to operate well through the lines, as we've mentioned, and to sit Rashford on the shoulder of the centre half and, and to make those runs through. And as we as we all know, that you know, the, the most important result in football is uh, it's not how you play, it's the result at the end of the day. Um Gabriel Jesus. So so far it seems like the sternest test that Martinez and Varane have come up against. Um, they'd only conceded one goal so far um, since the Liverpool game, since they started together. Um, two clean sheets after that. But Jesus seemed to get a little bit of joy. What do you think it was about Jesus, Luke, that created the opportunity for Arsenal to, to break in behind the back four that we haven't seen so far since Varane and Martinez have started playing together? I think it's movement. I think his movement, um, things that you don't see are critical. He's a player that... You know what, Wayne just spoke about um, <clears throat> Ericsson and you said the old, you don't realise that you haven't got someone until you get someone or reverse that, you don't realise how good someone is until they're gone. And Arsenal would have realised that without a top striker, in my opinion. They've had a few, Jesus is, is fantastic, his movement is, is brilliant. But I know it's not part of the question, but when you've got someone like Ericsson on your team, it gives Rashford, who plays on the shoulder of the centre-half, as you said, Jamie, he knows that ball's coming. So he knows that he only has to be this much on side and make that run. And kind of, as a striker now, sometimes you actually don't, you're not looking at the ball because you've turned and you've gone. 
but you know that Ericsson's playing that ball through. And I think that will help um, that will help uh, everybody because they have a way of playing even when he's in that deep position. And I'm telling you, Ericsson's one of the best passes that I've seen. I, I think I said it the other day, but I was moaning about it at the weekend. And it's, I won't, I'll let it go now, but I just wish that we'd taken him before Brentford. I just wish we had because I know that that would have been a lovely story. It would have been a real trust and like, you know what, everything's been through, we're going to take you and we're going to have be the, the team to say, do you know what, we'll have you. And I know you probably needed that year at Brentford and things like that, but I wish that we'd taken him a year earlier. And I think that um, to answer your question, Jesus is, is a top striker. He scored against me, actually, so he must be good. Um, <laughs> but but most, most of them have, actually. But no, he, um, yeah, he's a, he's a top striker and uh, I think that you're not going to come across too many of his standard. And I think that Varane, uh, he, he, he copes all right. I think there's nothing to worry about there. I think that Varane's only going to improve over the season. He needs to get his wings. And I said, you know, he needs to put in eight out of ten performances in these sort of games. Um, but he's not alone now. We've got a strong, a strong few additions to the squad who, who, who have definitely made it stronger. And I think that now they've found a way of playing where they're not like tick attacker from the back. I think that we can only improve from this. And I hope that they take the Europa League serious and because that's a big chance to win, win a trophy. So. I know they might change the side around a little bit, but we're more than capable of getting through the group and obviously making an impact, impact on the tournament. Yeah, spot on. Um, and that's another reason for people to listen to the podcast. You know, we've got people here being scored against by Premier League strikers, Luke. So, um, and to be fair, there's no shame in that. You know, he is a very good striker, isn't he? So, um, you know, I'm sure you gave him a good game, though. Um, Wayne, what do you reckon, again, that it was about Arsenal that allowed them to play that brand of football? Is it something that Tenag would have looked at before the game has said, we'll let them play their brand of football and we'll hit them in transition? Or were they the dominant side on the, on the day? Yes, it's a, it's a strange one. Um, I don't think they were dominant. I think that's um, a glorification um, of them trying to make themselves feel better about losing and losing by a couple of goals because you can't be dominant if you lose by two goals. In, in very exceptional circumstances, you can be. Um, they, but they weren't on Sunday, so let's nip that in the bud. Um, they can be critical. I mean, United, for all the chances and everything like that, United had twice as many shots on target, so they can talk about the number of attempts being marginally higher. They can talk about the, the ball possession, but they're going to have that. Um, Luke said about Jesus and, and Varane doing well against him. I think he did. Martinez obviously had a couple of sort of spats with him where they both lashed out at each other. I thought all of the defence sort of coped. But they all had wobbles. Dallo seemed to struggle early on against Martinelli. Malatia struggled early on against Saka, but they all set up. You know, you've got to notice recovery in these things. McTominay's recovery over five or six games, not just five or six games, we're talking, you know, a year or so. His recovery has been exceptional, you know, to play the way that he has been doing. And that's obviously why Casemiro's not coming yet, because Tenor was giving him that chance, because he's playing, playing well enough to earn his place in the side. Um, and I think all of these aspects where you've got a team that is now, look where the confidence was six months ago. Look at the way that Ragnick was calling out all the players. The confidence was on the floor. 
So in and this is the miracle of what uh, Tenog really achieved is that he's got these players believing in themselves and uh, as individuals, but also as a team as well. So he's got them now fighting for each other. You've seen it like they, you saw it against Liverpool. You've seen it in all the other games where they're all sort of the defenders high fiving each other and everything like that because they know that they're working together. They know that they're trying to develop this understanding and they know. I think the likes of Deleuze and McTominay appreciate the fact that a large part of their continuation in the team is down to the effectiveness as the system of the system as a whole. So they're appreciative of the work that's been done by everyone else. And likewise, they're appreciative of the fact that their contribution is being appreciated. So you're having this togetherness that's coming along. You're having the calmness that's being brought into the play by the likes of Varane, by the likes of Ericsson. And then the way that it worked against Arsenal was just against and all getting it right. Getting it right is his tactics have been spot on. Obviously, the first couple of games, people say, "Oh, they weren't spot on." But if you look back at those games, he made understandable errors that, uh, from a manager with a new squad coming into a new league against opponents that he just wasn't ready for. So, all right, Brentford caught by surprise. Brighton caught him by surprise. He probably didn't realise that Brighton would be so confident and so good on the ball at Old Trafford. But he made changes in both of those games that improved United. Admittedly, from like a very low ebb, but they still improved United. And since then, since Brentford, he's been so proactive with it. I know I'll make major surgery early on. I'll make these major changes. And we've all seen the benefits. We don't have to go over them here because we've already talked about them in previous podcasts. And because he's done that and the team are more confident, he's now been able to look at the opposition and say, all right, well, here's where you'll make plans. I think Arsenal was probably the first time where he looked at an opponent and said, this is how we're going to exploit an opponent's weakness. You know, and it, it seems simple, but Arsenal do have a very obvious weakness in their defence. And like you said, you know, all you've got to do in that moment is make sure that you've got the right timing. And Ericsson's the master of it. So if you've got, even Fernandez, to be fair, he got the timing yeah. right with a couple of his so as long as they've got that right as long as they're patient enough to wait for that chance and United were like I said it wasn't just the two goals that they scored on the counter they could have got four or five if they've got the timing right in football obviously you create four or five chances like that and you want to score two and we did so we were clinical enough in the way that um, we took them apart I think you know they had no answer to it United were quite happy as well once they'd settled into it once they were settled the defenders were quite happy to let Arsenal have the ball in certain areas. So that tells you a lot about how they grew in confidence. Um, so I think it was, yeah, credit the players and also credit the manager because I think the manager deserves all. I'm not going to stop. In the same vein as Luke's going to give praise to Ericsson, I'm going to continue to give it to Tenor because I think he's getting every major decision spot on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, and he does look, he looks like the real deal when it comes to tacticians, doesn't it? You know, you've got, Arteta, who's now been a Premier League coach for three years, um, and the difference in their game management is just it just seemed levels. And I don't know whether it was because Arteta had a bit of a lapse um, in concentration and made a wrong decision, but for me, looking at it, two what you two on down, you're having a lot of joy through the midfield, and he takes off. Sorry, but he brings on Fabio Vereira, Emil Smith Rowe, and Eddie Nketiah, and all of a sudden he loses all that um, that hold that they had at the base of the midfield, and the game just completely switched on its head. Whereas the changes that Ten Hag made improved us. I, one person I was quite impressed with when I watching and, and especially watching back 
was Ronaldo. So Ronaldo's obviously accepted a bit more of a bit part role this season so far. You know, the, the transfer window was awash with rumours of um, him spitting his dummy out, wanting to leave to anyone that had offered him Champions League football. But he came on and he pressed. He was pressing very well. And a couple of the chances that we created, and the, um, the, the third goal that we scored begins with him pressing deep in the midfield, forcing Arsenal into, a, into an error that ends up with a, a turnover of possession and, and we go on and score. Now, Luke, obviously, you've been you've said so um, quite often, obviously, on this podcast that you're a big fan of Ronaldo, that you hope he stays and you hope he switches on. The Ronaldo that we saw this weekend, one that comes on, runs, presses, and seems to create his opportunities. Is that a Ronaldo you're happy to see, even if he does only get a, a half an hour cameo here and there? Well, it's the old thing. Uh, you must have had, heard the word FOMO, feeling of missing out. When you're on the bench and your team is losing, that's kind of fine. You're actually happier. When you're on the bench and your team is winning, then the fire is just burning, burning up. Because no one's looking going, oh, maybe you should play them or They've got no right to say this, 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 this on the bench. So Ronaldo will be getting motivation, motivation. Um, I've been there, certainly. Because you want to be in that winning feeling. You're seeing the crowd, you're seeing the TV, you're seeing podcasts like ours uh, praise everybody. So it's a winning few weeks. And that will be killing him. So how do the top athletes react? Positively. They get on the pitch and they work the nuts off like he did. And they press and they do what the manager wants. Stubbornness is a terrible thing in any job. So obviously, to begin with, he's like, well, I've got done this, 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 this. You know, I should be, you know, dictating. Well, all of a sudden, we're doing, they're doing fine without him. He'll realise that he needs to now bring something to the party. You know, and he'll be fighting to get in that team. I, I did um, <clears throat> have a question for you. Do you. Does anyone know how Rashford's hamstring is? I know, like, you've not called him personally or anything, but um, probably you, Wayne, because you know everyone. But um, <laughs> I kind of left the game quickly um, as I was at a wedding, and obviously people were talking about his hamstring. Is that, like, a big problem, or have they said anything? I think that was just a precaution, to be fair. I didn't call him to ask him, but he's, um, yeah, I think... It's it wouldn't surprise you, though. No, 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 no. Um, and Martinez, by the way, also a precaution. Um, I think maybe both will probably miss Thursday, but I wouldn't have thought that that was for a re- you know for the injury reason, probably just to give him a rest. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if there is if there is one man that could pick up the phone and ring Marcus Rashford to ask how his hamstring is, it is you, Wayne. It would not surprise no. me. No. Maybe on on the three of us, but not in general, for sure. That I want to comment on Ronaldo because Luke made some great points there. Um, I think one thing that people seem to Luke won't forget it because he, he trained with him for a, a fair amount of time. People forget that Ronaldo reinvented himself quite a few times, and his intelligence of the game is actually a lot higher than people give credit for. So, and I've talked about this a couple of times in the last week. He reinvented himself, first of all, from the, the traditional out and out winger to an inside forward. That was at United, obviously. He, he sort of under the work with, with Mullenstein and Ferguson, and then with Rooney and Tevez, he was able to reinvent himself into this inside forward, predominantly coming inside from the right, which is where he had a lot of joy. And then at United, he moved over to the left as well. Um, and then at Real Madrid, 
he, he basically played as a false nine coming from the left. You know, Benzema was doing a lot of the work for him. Then he evolved as his age um, went on and became a more traditional centre-forward, you know, an out-and-out number nine where, he, you know, there was no um, bones about it. He was there to get goals. He was a dominant figure in the middle of the park. And then what he, he was doing, what he'd, he was already doing it at United, but he so uh, he definitely knew that he was doing it when he was playing as an out-and-out centre-forward. He would just pick the centre off, which he knew had the weakness that he could exploit, and he, he would gauge that through the game. So it wouldn't matter, let's say, he was playing against, for the sake of argument, let's say he was playing against United and he had Ferdinand Vidic up against marking him. He'd just go between them until he decided which he knew which of those players he could exploit throughout the game. It didn't matter which one was marking him. If it was the other one, even better, because they'd have to adapt their plan. And that's what he was so good at over the years. And then, obviously, when he went to Juventus, he just carried on being a number nine out and out. So that's unfamiliar, an unfamiliar Ronaldo that we got back because he wasn't that player when we had him. But what I'm saying is now, obviously, when he came back to United, he's better at doing that in European competition because the game's a little bit slower, the opponents are a little bit slower, and he was able to sort of identify the weakness and exploit it in the way that he did. A little bit different because the Premier League's a little bit quicker, but he can still adapt. He can still adapt. So when people say, oh, he's pressing now, he was, people might forget this, he was pressing under Ragnik as well. He was doing that. He, you know, when Ragnik had him in the side, he was not in the same way under Tenog, because under Tenog, he's pressing mistakes. He's making mistakes happen. But I think uh, there was a mentality shift, and, and Luke mentioned it earlier. When he was on the pitch against Brentford and he saw United losing 4 0, he saw sort of like, it was almost like a separation, even though he was on the pitch. It was like, what am I supposed to do with this lot? You know, I'm Ronaldo. I'm not responsible for this mess. But then by the time it gets to Leicester and he's pretty much accepted that he's going to stay. When he came on against Leicester, he was pretty much the same as he was against Arsenal. You know, he, he created a couple of openings. He was, he was like the old winger. It was like watching a winger with sort of 10 yards of pace lost. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the Ronaldo making his debut. You know, he wasn't as quick, but he was making unselfish runs. He was opening those opportunities and avenues for other people. And I think that maybe there's been a conversation in the last week or so that, um, let's be fair, he probably gets better advice than anyone when it comes to his reputation and legacy about what that means now, about what that's going to mean going forward, because let, let's make no mistake about it the scarcity of options that he had this summer is going to be even greater next summer. So this is likely to be his last dance on the high profile. Whether, you know, he might go to Sporting after, um, he might go to the MLS, but wherever he goes, taking into account the fact that Ronaldo's got a massive global presence anyway, is the profile on which he's going to be playing is going to massively drop. So it's in his interest to stay United Champions League or not and help them get back into the Champions League because, yes, he might get another go at the Champions League with sport in Lisbon, but the better um, avenue is to sort of help United get there and that'll also do, you know, the, the consequential byproduct things for his legacy and the way that he'll be remembered at United. Because um, if he does contribute and, you know, United win the Europa League and he scores the goals and everything like that, or if they win an FA Cup and he scores goals along the way, then... People will forget all about the fact that he, he tried to move this summer. You know, United football fans are fickle; they have short memories, stuff like that. Especially for legends, they'll they'll forgive him um, a certain manner of goals. 
And I, I can see Ronaldo inventing himself. You've got to remember, he's still a world-class centre-forward. He showed that last season by scoring 20 goals in a poor team that didn't really put a lot of service in there. Now you've got players who can create, provide that service. I mean, we still don't know. We haven't mentioned him yet in 26 minutes, but Anthony, we don't know his quality of service yet, but he's going to provide something. Um, so Luke now is a, a famed centre-forward. will be able to give us um, some kind of lowdown on what that quality of service looks like. You know, you want more predictable service than what I presume Anthony is going to deliver. But nonetheless, it's a different avenue for, for Ronaldo. You've got Ericsson who puts chances on a plate. Fernandez's ability to take a chance and make that risky pass can be accommodated more when you've got more stable players in possession. So you're going to have more openings for a player like Rashford, for, for Ronaldo and Rashford, obviously. Um, I think I think this, this Thursday... I think that they'll all be in. Um, Casemiro, Ronaldo, Anthony, who else has been on the bench? Maguire. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you agree? I think I think they'll all be. I think they'll all be straight in the side, and um, you know, maybe possibly even the goalkeeper might change. Um, and that's not to and that's not to devalue it, but I think they need game time, and I think they need. Um, you know they need to be in there. Tomlin might play still, but I think that they'll they'll all be in. So I'm really interested in Thursday. It's not. It's honestly, it's a hard one, United, because I know that we're all Champions League mad, but the Europa League's really important this year. We need to show a dominance there, and you know with the strength of the bench that we saw, you know there's going to be a reason to watch it. It's not like we're getting the kids or we're getting. The lesser players. We're getting some big names. I think starting Thursday, so it's going to be a it's going to be a strong United side. It'd be very interesting. I think. So touching on Anthony, I know that you want a debrief from me being a superstar striker and that, but I think it's difficult because yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got to stick by this. But you can't judge on the first game. You can't judge much straight away. I've I've had a little look through his highlights actually. I was um had some YouTube time and. I was looking at his best bits and they put it to music and they put all the tricks and stuff in there. But you've got to see him over a few games. I've not seen Ajax play in the last couple of years. Not not properly. I haven't seen 90 minutes and, and that. So, Anthony, I'd like to take pressure off you. I know he's watching this. So, <clears throat> I want to make sure he knows that, you know, no one's going to judge him after a couple of games. So, fantastic that he scored on his debut. He'll be absolutely made up of that. Um, took it well. Thought that the keeper should have stood up a bit longer. But, that's another podcast. Um, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. One game, one goal. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I'd be interested in your point. On, sorry, Jamie, to interrupt, but when both of your points, I, I might as well ask you about it, Jamie. Well, on the points that Luke just mentioned about um, the changing of the players, where do you stand with that? Because I think the, one of the big values of our squad management at the moment is that he's he's rewarded the players. He sort of said, if you perform, you're in the team. So if he makes wholesale changes, if he makes three or four changes, you know, like, for example, Maguire, what's the incentive for him? Do you know, if it, does he play well and then keep his place on Sunday? What, what would you like to see? I, I think incentive-based team selection is always a positive around a football dressing room. Um, I think one of the problems we would have had last year in the Rania, the Solskjaer, is... Players questioning when players are having a 
consistently poor performances week in, week out, but are retaining their place in the team because of who they are or because of, you know, they've been at the club for a long time. You've probably got players on the fringe saying, well, what do I have to do to get in? So I'm not against incentive-based performance. I think you'll have the main um, hub of the squad. You'll have his spine that is probably untouchable. So at the minute, you know, Varane, Martinez, probably the first one to repeat for me. Um, Ericsson, of course. But yeah, I think if there's places up for grabs and he's not afraid to rotate if somebody plays well, then that's why we have squad depth, isn't it? That's why we bring players in. Um, though, you know, there was a comment before about Maguire um, coming on briefly and getting a yellow card. So what does he expect? And I think this idea of Maguire being on top of captain is a bit of an interesting one because typically our club captains over the last couple of years have been some of our veteran players that they're not our match day captains. They happen to take a bit of that role and to put an arm around the kids and to put them through. But we look at like Valencia when he was the captain and I think he did that job fantastically. Um, so Maguire can stay as the club captain and we see that Bruno's the match day captain. And that relationship happens in football quite often. Um, not to mention the Navy, but you know, City do it quite well where there's squad votes for a captain. You know, they, they vote for their club captain. It's um, okay, go on. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be the captain every day. He is just the leader in the dressing room. So I think it's interesting. And I think Thursday is a provide tonight with a perfect opportunity to experiment and to give people a run out if somebody's changing their Oh, bless you, Luke. Bless you again. Thank you. If, um, you know, if someone is adapting well in training and, uh, and Ten Hag's seen an, an improvement, then give them an opportunity on Thursday. And if, if they play well, you say, you know, there's a spot there for, for Sunday. So I think it can only be a positive thing. And I agree spot on with what Luke said before about, I really hope we take the Europa League seriously. Um, we cannot afford to be snobs about competitions at the minute. You know, we've not won a trophy now for, for five years. Um, the Europa League was obviously, when we won that in 2017, and it, it was a great lift considering what had happened in Manchester, you know, not long before that. Um, so we've seen how well winning this trophy can impact the team. So for me, I'd take any trophy at the minute. You know, it's coming on a decade since we last won the, uh, last won the league. Um, and Ronaldo could add a Europa League to his collection at the end of the day. You know, he's, he's not won that before. Everyone bangs on about Jurgen Klopp with Everton there is to win, but he's never won a Europa League. So it's a false statement. Sorry, I went on a little bit long there. But um, yeah, yeah, that's my thoughts. I think that the rotation can benefit us massively. If we get it right. What did that guy say in the comments? Uh, Champions League predictions are, well, to be honest, Peter Morgan, we're not really in the Champions League, so I don't know if we can predict There's that. a Champions League this year. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know the fixtures. I know Tottenham are playing Marseille. That's a 1-0 all over. Celtic and um, Madrid. Away at Madrid? I think it's a Celtic Park, I think, tonight. That, do you know what? I'll predict a draw. Yeah, it'll be one of those, won't it? And then they'll go to Madrid and get battered. Two will draw. Um, Liverpool, who have they got? Lazio? <laughs> Napoli? I don't know. Yeah, it's unlikely, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Sorry, Peter. Good question, but... We're more interested in uh, FC Sheriff and people like that. It's all about Europa League. <laughs> exactly. Um. I'm just going to quickly just take it back because um, obviously we did mention Anthony briefly and I was going to talk about Anthony. Um, but 
goal on his debut immediately takes some pressure off, doesn't it, Luke? It's one of those that you don't want to be an £85 million signing who, week in, week out, Sky Sports, BBC, whoever are tweeting that, you know, the wait goes on for his first goal for United. And his performance was was, was okay. I, mean, I don't think he was absolutely incredible and people can overreact to these things. I think, you know, he, he did some simple things quite well. There was a lot of player in there at times and obviously he got the goal. But how important was it for him to get that opening goal, provide the to kick off and hopefully perform regularly for us? Well, it's, it's huge. I mean, it, it's nice to get something like that. Like you said, it take, gives him a few weeks breathing space from the English press and, and that's you know, I mean that. That's not a joke. It's a few weeks. Um, we all know how quickly it can turn. Um, I think that I've tried to think about the 85 million now because it's such a huge amount of money for my brain to comprehend because obviously you grow up through the 90s and then the 2000s. But then you have to actually think how much is a bottle of milk compared to that then. So like... You know, when Figo's, tw- I think I watched that program on Figo, he went for 50 million 20 years ago. So you kind of like have to, you know, really catch up because people say, oh, that's so much money. And Paul Merson is always going on about how much things cost, Maguire being one. And okay, sometimes there's, there's room for error. But, you know, if this guy plays for United for the next 15 years, then it's money well spent and more. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so like I'm not. Putting, I'm not coming into this thinking, you know what, Anton's the next this, he's the next that, he's going to be, you know, the world's best player. He could just be um, a good player for United for years and years to come. And I think that um, at such a young age, a lot of pressure can be mount up on him. So I think that, like you said, we know he didn't have a fantastic impression. He didn't like blow us away with this, that and whatever. But that's fine. That's fine. He'll find his feet. It's his debut. He's got a goal. He's got a win. And let's hope that the lad, you know, puts in a good good season and gets a few goals, 10, 15 goals maybe, and then we go from there. He's not in my dream team yet, my fantasy team, but um, not many United players made it this year, actually. Um, But yeah, I'm pro, like, you know, giving the lads a chance. And I'd, I'd go back to the game after the Liverpool, after we started the podcast and that, and we said about the Liverpool win and then we beat Southampton. That 1-0 win was just as important as any other in the last few weeks. And they're the games, you know, we might not play well each week, but the strength of this squad, grinding out results, you know, Villa held Man City the other day, Liverpool haven't won every week. It's anybody's. It could be that season where it's anybody's at the moment. Unless there's a breakaway, there's a Leicester weird year which I don't think will happen for a long time but it's it's any of those top six or seven clubs Tottenham might be the one to you know just keep getting clean sheets and wins doubt it I very much doubt it but you know I know you guys have mentioned league positions and we're not going to anymore but we're certainly not thinking about relegation which I definitely mentioned in that first week because and I don't regret it because people will say like I've always said people say ah. Oh, See, they're eating the words now because they were speaking about this, that, whatever. Yeah, because you can only talk about what you see. It's not like a, it's not like we're not just making up on what we think. You can only go off how bad that was, and that will still be in the minds of the players. And that's what I love about Ten Hag. He's modest when he talks. 
He doesn't get carried away at the moment. And he knows that you're two results away from being, you know, the most hated person in the country. And I think yeah. that it's so important we just go quietly under the radar. And this is another lovely result. But, you know, we did play extremely poorly for two games at the beginning of the season, which was, you know, was bottom half of the table at like performances. So I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. I'm really impressed now. And I think that that's why everything's so positive all of a sudden, because we all can see the negatives there, but we've kind of changed and adapted. And I just think that I, I know you, I know you wanted to talk about the uh, transfer window, Jamie. And you look back at it now and you think Ronaldo could be one of the best bit of businesses we've done. So we've still got Ronaldo because the transfer window involves what you keep as well as what you get rid of and what you sell and what you buy. So like we've kept Ronaldo and we've added to that with experience, youth, and obviously the players who are there, McTominay. You know, he's only gone from strength to strength in the last few weeks. But I think it's been a good transfer window, a really, really good transfer window. I'm just hoping that Rashford stays fit because I think he could be a real, real key part of it with that pass from Ericsson and Bruno. So that's my take on that. Yeah, absolutely. And so it is a really nice segue there into a section just dedicated to the transfer window. I'm glad it's closed. Um, as much as I like the excitement of the transfer window, the circus that surrounds it at times drives me mad. Uh, this is for one more story about Frankie De Jong. I think I'll try. Um, so obviously, we, we, you know, we managed to bring in partners, Malassia, Ericsson, Casemiro, Whitney, and Martin Dubravka, which was a, an interesting one. Wayne, what would you rate the transfer window? Do you think we've managed to address most of the problem issues in the squad? Or do you think there's still more work to be done in January and next summer? There's still more work to be done. Um, I think that much is obvious. But we're talking about a single transfer window. Again, Luke went back to the 90s. And I remember, like, I think maybe the transfer window people in the next three or four years are going to realise it's a terrible thing for football clubs. It's, it's heightening in panic. It's heightening in risk. It's making them take gambles they don't have to take when... Um, when the financial risk is so high, so maybe they um, maybe they'll they'll address that. I think, as far as United are concerned, considering the transfer window is what we have to deal with, I think that they did the best thing they could do within three or four months. Obviously, they do. They wanted De Jong. De Jong was the major person that Tenog wanted in his system. Didn't get him. We spent time dedicated to that transfer. When it was obvious that we weren't going to get in, they allocated the funds elsewhere and they went elsewhere for, for the players and they acted swiftly to get those players. Even though, in the case of Anthony, for example, you knew that um, that we overpaid for him by however much we overpaid for him. I had us over a barrel with that one. But I think in terms of the players that we brought in, and again, to go back to what Luke was saying about the fee, we're kind of removed from that. We just want to see the player on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? And if he plays well, then you don't even think about that. You just think, well, he's, he's played well and he's fit into the system. These are all players that Tenog wants into a system. And, you know, I, I'm happy with it. I think we did as, as well as we could do for a single window. Yeah. And I think, again, credit to Ten Hag. I missed out on Frankie de Jong. He was clearly his number one target. But... 
the way in which he's deploying Ericsson in a similar role to how I imagine he would have deployed Frankie is a good indication of his adaptability as a manager. Whereas, you know, former managers that we've had, um, not to mention any names, might have thrown a bit of a strop that they didn't get the number one target. Um, Ten Hag seems to have gone, all right, I might have missed out on this player, but look at this other player that I've got that I can mould and I can get him performing quite well. And I think that's a testament to his character and his will and desire to succeed at United, no matter the circumstances. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I also think that maybe Eric's. I think Ericsson was wanted as well as De Jong, so I wonder how they would have fit together. Maybe um, that would be an interesting one to put to him if anyone ever gets the opportunity to do that. But um, yeah, I, I think I can't disagree with anything that you said because when he when he plays for us, he's obviously apparently playing that um, De Jong kind of role in there what you would envisage that De Jong plays. I'd be interested to see um, what role Casemiro is going to play when he comes into the side because, again, you would presume that he was a player that... In fact, when you look at him, considering that he'd be 31 next year, would he really be the kind of profile that um, Tenard would be looking for? So maybe he was part of a plan B that he, that he had. All right, well, I have a presence here and Ericsson can kind of do the things that we want De Jong to do. But I do, like you said, other managers might well have um, thrown the toys out of the pram when they didn't get what they wanted. But Ten Hag has been quite... He's acted with a lot of conviction with this, you know what I mean? There's no way that you would look at this and say... You know, even when we signed Diallo and Tellez and Cavani and um, who else did we sign on that? On that deadline day, and you were thinking, how many of these are Solskjaer's signings? Um you know that these are all Ten Hag signings, you're pretty sure. Even Dubrovka, you think, all right, the manager's made a call there. It's not it's not a flashy signing. They didn't say, oh, we'll go for Kilo Navas, who's trying to get his contract terminated. They said, no, we'll go with a sensible option. And, yeah, I, I you know, I, I think it's as strong a transfer window as we could have hoped for, uh, for considering that there's new people in charge above Ten Hag. And Ten Hogs and a new person in charge as well. I know that some of it was reactionary to defeats, but at least we made the right decisions in, in those transfers as well. Yeah. And it seems that the Ten Hag signs are clicking very quickly and very well. Um, Martinez and Malatia, you know, we couldn't really ask for more from them. Um, you know, Martinez just got our Player of the Month for August award. Every game I've watched him, um, especially partnering for Rand, there is that fire and that desire and passion that really elevate the back line. I think that's something that we have missed. Um, I never thought I'd say this next sentence, but I, do you think Casemiro's got a job for getting ahead of McTominay? Because McTominay has been doing well. Um, and, he, he, you know, just having Ericsson next to him seems to have really shored him up a little bit because all he needs to do is sort of disrupt the play, find Ericsson, and then Ericsson does the, the dirtier work with him breaking the lines with his passing and starting a counter-attack or whatever. And McTominay seems to have found some really good form at the minute. So, Luke, do you think that Casemiro is going to play a different role to McTominay or are they both fighting for that, that same position? And who comes out on top eventually? Um, it's difficult to say who'd come out on top because, you know, one's just starting off, if you like, and one's well into his career it's, it's great competition and again you've got to take the money out of the situation which is hard to do but as a manager you don't think like that you don't think oh 
I've got to get him in the team because we've just paid millions and millions for him. They're going to work out how much he's actually cost us per minute on Sky Sports or something. But when you're the manager and when you're part of the football club, you have to play who's going to get you the win where you need the win. And that's why I said about Thursday, he will play because, you know, he needs to start a game and he needs to get that now in his legs. Um, nobody's got a problem. When you're winning, the manager's selection is perfect. I think the first couple of games, he might, Casemiro would be like, okay, that's fine, you know, just come. Oh, and then he's seen, obviously, his position, like anybody be thinking, oh, hang on a minute. This isn't a case of just walking into a poor United side. I've got to now fix up a little bit like what I said about Ronaldo. I'm not saying he's done anything wrong at all, Casemiro, but he now knows going to Thursday, if I'm right and he plays, he's got to put on a performance, you know. He might just give that extra little 5-10% because he's chasing something, which is the next Premier League game. I think that, I think that he will start, and I, th- I don't think it will take a loss to start him. I think if he plays well on Thursday, maybe he'll get in the side. I think if, um, you know, they might look at it and say, look, he's played a lot of games and they rotate it or they come up against a different formation. Um, but it's, it's exciting. You know, what, what a great credit to McTominay and to the academy and to all the coaches that are, you know, pushing him along. That's, that's the United way, both ways. We've gone for a fantastic player from abroad, but one of our own is keeping him outside at the moment and you're winning games. I don't think it's a worry that anybody should have apart from the guy who wrote the check. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's so, it's so difficult because when I was at Barnsley, probably a side that was not as well, you know, certainly not as wealthy as most of the teams in the championship, let alone like any of the Premier League. When we played, when we did sign players who obviously would come for a, a lot of money, you knew that they'd probably have to start the season regardless. And it sometimes doesn't work out. And that is tough luck on whoever made those decisions, those people who, you know, paid the money. And sometimes it's not even their fault. It's just it didn't work out to the guy who's on the most money, cost the most money, um, and they put a lot of eggs in that basket. Sometimes it's just not It's just not the way. So if it was so easy, then, you know, every club would be financially stable and be flying, but they're not. People get it wrong. And I know what you, you said, Wayne, about the transfer market. It's very difficult because not so much for the big clubs, but for those in-between clubs, you know, a West Brom or a yeah. Brentford who want to stay in the Premier League and do they really go for it? Do they not? It doesn't always work out. And I think the Casemiro, I don't know, I say... I want to. I want to say what that I don't. I'm not sure about the signing in terms of like financially a good decision, and I stick by that because I don't know where the win is. I don't know where the win is at his age in terms of that money. I think they're about 15 million over on that. 20 million possibly. What did they pay for him? Uh, I was at 16. Yeah, maybe they're twenty million over. I don't know. I don't know how that's got to that. I, I honestly can't fathom that at all. But let's hope that he does fantastic for the club. I'll be right behind him, and you know we we can ooze that that money out of um, out of him. But yeah, sometimes McTominay's the better option. And to be fair, in a window where Forest buy Morgan gives rights to forty two million, and um, Everton wanted sixty odd million for Anthony. 
the bullying football is mad, and you know people people talk about Pogba being the the catalyst of it. I personally think Neymar transfer PSG broke the market completely. So money in football for me is irrelevant these days. So players price. Jamie, don't get me started on Forest. Don't get me started. <laughs> we'll have to do a new podcast because obviously the owner there was the owner of Olympiacos when I was at Panathinaikos. So he just got all the best players and won the league, won the league, won the league. And then obviously he signed me at Forest. And I don't know him personally, obviously not not really, but he they will just buy until they're successful. Where the money's from, I don't know, but they will just keep buying, keep buying. And 21, 22, three managers, you know, if it takes that, it, all this are, they've not been promoted in years. Cooper's like the safe, blah, blah, blah. No, he's not. He's about three games away from being chopped mm. because he's just like, you know, he'll do whatever it takes. He'll sack the cleaner for the cleaner, you know, Mr. Spot. Anyway. This, the only insight that you can get here, though, that's why people should be listening to this podcast. That's the sort of insight we're after. Um, right, lads, absolutely brilliant as always. Um, really, really enjoyed that. Um, make sure for anyone watching on YouTube, please leave us a like and subscribe. Um, and if you're listening to us on your favourite podcast platform, make sure you leave us a review as well. There's plenty more shows coming up, so you want to be subscribed to Talk of the Devils. Make sure you get all that content. Um, we should be back next week. We'll have Sociedad and Paris in between then. Um, so there'll be plenty to talk about, and maybe we'll get some more Nottingham Foresters as well from our very own Luke's video. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for watching, for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.